astounded by your great love for us. How many different ways you beckon us to yourself as individuals, as a church, as families. You beckon us over and over again. And you tell us to come, my son, come, my daughter. So this day, Lord God, we uh, just want to, again, set aside this time, uh, the beginning of this time, Lord, uh, that you would set the paths for us on this journey. Father, again, we, as we've said before in prayer, that within our own power, we really don't have power or the right power uh, to accomplish the things that need to be broken in our life. But we thank you for your word, which is oftentimes, it is an x-ray. It uh, shows us what's really going on, and we may not even know what's happening within us. But Father, your word is also a teacher to us as well. Uh, Lord God, that uh, you tell us what we need to do to get things right. Uh, so Father, as we continue to think about alignment, we pray that your word today would just set us straight. Align us with your will. And we do pray for freedom as well. And as your word says, Father, the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Let there be liberty in this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 1? Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of God says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in a month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. What a very dark and disturbing look news that Nehemiah heard from his brother that the place that he longed to be so much was completely destroyed. 
And oftentimes when we look at our lives, we uh, must take an assessment of our lives as well to see what is its condition. What is the condition of our heart? What is the condition of our spirit? Brothers and sisters, what is the condition of your situation today? One of the first things I want to tell you is that, that we must always have a desire to be informed. You, you, you must, you, you got to want to know what's going on, amen? You got to know what's going on. You know, some people, they want to stick their heads in the sand, while others, they do want to see true, truly what's going on. Some people think that the less I know, the better off I am. They think, well, if I don't look at my bank account, I'll be all right. If, if I ignore my, bid, my bill from ComEd, then everything is going to be okay. If I never ask about, you know, how my son or my daughter, how they're doing in school, then maybe they're doing just fine. But Nehemiah wanted to know the condition of his folks, of his peoples back home. And I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, remember that all of Israel had ended up in captivity. Why? Due to rebellion and sin. The Lord didn't like what they were doing, so he allowed the sinfulness of other nations to come and to take them captive, take them away from their homeland. And the vast majority of them, they were deported to a land that was not their own. They couldn't speak the language. And they didn't know the culture or the customs of Babylon. That's where they went. And as you recall, the northern uh, part of Israel had already went to Assyria. And now uh, Babylon comes along and he takes care of Judah. Uh, this was heartbreaking. Uh, this once thriving nation now uh, found themselves under siege by an enemy that God could have taken care of a long time ago. You see, the enemy was smart. What he oftentimes do, he uh, tries to take away the smartest and the brightest and the strongest, and he leads all those other people around to fend for themselves. And this was the same case here with Babylon. They came and they took all the smart people and all the strong people. Well, well then who remained? Well, let's, let's look at this. Look at 2 Kings chapter 25, beginning in verse 8. Second uh, Kings chapter 25, beginning in verse 8. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem 
every great house he burned down. So when Babylon came to Jerusalem, when they came to uh, this place, uh, they started burning stuff. We just read there in Nehemiah chapter 1, it says the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. We just read that. But here it says that they start burning all kind of stuff. Verse 10 in 2 Kings 25. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. There it is. And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted uh, to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. So he took a whole host of people away. Verse 12. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. See, not just the poorest, the people who didn't have money, but those who were physically unable to make the journey. You know, uh, we're going to let you all stay and take care of the land. So now we see the front end of the story. Uh, and after many years of the situation in Israel, it had not changed. So we saw how Babylon came and sacked the nation, uh, but now uh, Nehemiah asked, how are my people doing? I know some of us have been going through some tough situations, some for years. How are you today? What would people say about your life today? After all these years, would they say that your buildings, your spiritual buildings are, have been burned with fire and the walls are broken down? We live from day to day wondering why our situation has not changed. Why do we continue to suffer? Why is it that our lives have been turned upside down and everyone else is doing well, but look at me. You know, my walls are broken down and they have been burned with fire and nothing has changed. I'm sick and tired of it. What was the state of the people? They didn't have it made because they were not taken captive. Some would think that, you know what, uh, you all are, are being taken captive. Uh, you all going to have it bad. Boy, you're going to have it bad. But the reverse was actually true. All those who were taken, and most of those who were taken into captivity, they had it better than those who remain in the land. Remember from our passage in 2 Kings 25 that some of the people remaining in the land uh, were some of the poorest and the least able to take care of themselves. The sick, the infirm, the elderly. This was not a plan uh, to leave sick folks, to leave elderly folks. That is not a plan to rebuild the nation and to have the nation 
flourish. That was not a plan for success. That was a plan for failure. The conquering of that land did nothing but break their spirits. Have you ever seen uh, a cowboy or whatever they call these people who, who train horses? And eventually over time, uh, they, they've learned that, uh, some of them have learned they need to break their spirits first. Sometimes some of your circumstances, some of our circumstances are so tough that they'll just break us. Just break us to the point that we just don't care anymore. I'm not even going to put up a fight. What do you do when you look around and have nothing and it seems like there's no one else there to help you? What do you do? You may be familiar with what some call a support system. One definition of a support system is it is a, a network of facilities and people who interact and remain in informal communication for mutual assistance. So you have, we have a support system in order to keep us encouraged. But think of a support system in terms of a medical life support system. And you think in terms of that, and it really doesn't give you life, Right? A life support system doesn't give you life, but it's around there to give you things to help you to survive for a period of time with the hopes that one day you can make it on your own, you'll be strong enough uh, to get off of the machines. But don't be fooled. All of us need life support systems. And if you say, well, I'm not in a hospital, I don't need it. Realize that if God took away the air that you breathe today, that you would die? The air that we breathe is part of our life support system. Do you realize that if you could not drink water, that that's part of your life support system, that you would die? <laughs> Don't get it uh, twisted. All of us are on some form of life support system. And it is God himself who powers the entire system. So just think what would happen to us if any one of those things would be subtracted permanently from our, our lives. But for others, uh, just like the Jews, uh, their support system, it included a network of people. The strong, smart, your families, your friends, your spouses, all of that is part of our support system. So look, if you despise your family, you know what? You're heading down a dark path. If you despise your friends that have been with you through thick and thin, yeah, they may tell you the truth, but they're telling you the truth because that's a part of your support system. See? So we can't despise it. But for the Jews there uh, caught in Jerusalem, uh, caught in Judah, Judah their, their support system had been snatched away from them. Looking at them stranded in their own land without that support system, without the strongest of the strong, without the smartest of the smart. 
But again, we turn to another book in God's Word to help us understand better. Turn with me to Daniel. See it clear here. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, knowledge, uh, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Uh, look at all that. So these were the people that now were in Babylon. Look at that. It gives us a list. They were the special people. I mean, people of high standing. It says the royal family. And the nobility, these were all the people who were responsible for making sure that they had infrastructure there in their nation, right, who were leading them and guiding them. And then it said it was the young people. They took away all the young people. What are you going to do if you have acres and acres of land with acres and acres of, of vegetables and plants and so on and so forth? Who's going to do all that work? All the young people were gone, verse 4. And look at them. Not only did they take the young people, but they took the pretty young people. Amen? It says, use without blemish. So, if you had, if you had blemish, you said, well, they ain't going to take me because I got acne all over my face, so I'd be good. Right? Of good appearance. But look, skillful in all wisdom. They were smart. So if you went to college... Guess what? Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar would come after you. Knowledge, understanding, learning. They were competent. These were the folks that were taken away to Babylon. So uh, the major support system uh, was exported to ensure the Babylonian king, uh, there would be no uprising from the people in the land. If you take away all the smart people, who's going to be there to organize in order to attack the king, in order to, to figure out how can they muster an army uh, to get together to come against the armies of Babylon? They took them all away. Smart move. You know, one of the biggest things that your enemy, that our enemy could do to us is to keep us Dumb and uninformed. One of the biggest things your enemy can do to you, that our enemy can do to me, is to keep us dumb and uninformed. And look, we already started off by, we know that the way to freedom, that the way to truth, that the way to get out of bondage is through the Word of God. So if you say, well, poor me, I'm always in bondage. Well, if you want to get out of bondage, the way you get out of bondage is through God's Word. Poor me, I can't do this, I can't do that. The reason you can't do it is because you refuse to accept the knowledge and the revelation found in the Word of God. And if you can get to the Word of God, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And God says, uh, He is truth, and the truth will set you free free. Jesus will set you free. What are you waiting on? See? That's the thing. So the enemy, 
He just wants you to keep remain dumb and uninformed. This is why uh, one of the reasons I have I insist as a pastor to move us all from a point of ignorance. It's good to come to church to have a Holy Ghost good time. But if you had a Holy Ghost good time and you walk out of here and you still can't effectively, biblically with God's Spirit deal with your situation, then what have I done and what have we been doing for the last hour or so? You've wasted your time. I shouldn't say waste. But you haven't used your time as wisely as you could have. My point is to get us to God's Word. At our gathering yesterday, our men heard that uh, the church exists to disciple men who in turn disciple their families, who in turn turn their uh, communities around. But Satan himself, he wants to keep men uh, disconnected from the church. Uh, I don't want to go to church today. It's fascinating fascinating. At a point where the man should be the leader of the house, it is the woman saying, are we going to church today? The woman is saying this. That is out of order. So the Jews who remained in the land, they were desperate. They were desperate. And what was their condition? We remained there. We saw here in verse 3, and they said to me, the remnant there, Nehemiah 1, verse 3, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. They were in great trouble. Are you in trouble today? Do you feel ashamed because you're just stuck in that same place? You know, sometimes that uh, when we get in terrible situations, uh, sometimes we feel as if they're unbeatable. That the odds are insurmountable against us. You know, how am I going to make it through? Who's going to help me? To experience this level of trouble also means there's a time uh, when there was joy and satisfaction. So to know that you're down in the dumps means that at one time you did have the joy. One time you weren't able to celebrate. But as I said before, said many, many times, you must make consistent investments in your relationship with people and with God. Amen? You must make consistent investments with people and with God. Uh, the moment you stop making the investments is the moment that relationship begins to crumble. Guarantee you. Anytime you begin to slack off, you're heading for trouble. And you know, the Jews uh, that we're reading about here in Nehemiah, they were not innocent. They were complicit in their disregard for widows, in their disregard for orphans, the poor of the community, while not nurturing their relationship with the Lord. Right? Uh, they began to implement other idols into their lifestyle. This is a recipe for trouble. Men who don't go to church or take the spiritual lead mess up their families. 
And you mess up the church. So when things are going well, uh, the believers, they shun their responsibilities. Of course, a life gets tough sometimes, doesn't it? We all know it gets tough sometimes. Sometimes you just don't want to get up in the morning. Sometimes you just don't want to go to work. Sometimes you just don't feel like cooking dinner. Sometimes you just don't feel like talking to that other person. Life gets tough sometimes, but I want you to know it is God who gives us the victory to conquer over all of our feelings. So if it's about you, of course, of course it's going to be messed up. But when it's about God, you can move beyond yourself. It's all about me, how I feel. Oh, I don't want to do this. Kids, I don't want to do that. It's very interesting, as, as I was reflecting again, I was thinking about the parallels. I was sharing this with my wife earlier on the way to church, or wherever we were today. Uh, I was sharing with her that it's very interesting that as, as parents, that we would never accept our children to be in our house and not go to school and, 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 and not do any chores in the household. Amen? Isn't that right? Can you say amen? Can the church say amen? Come on. And then when they get old, if they're still in your house, some of them pay rent. Amen? But don't they still do chores? Amen. Can the church say amen? amen? But yet the children of God come in God's house as God's children and sit and don't do a thing. And we think that's okay. I'm just, what, what happened to the amens? So when things were going well with the believers, they shunned their responsibilities. The implications are huge because uh, this not only includes the obvious, but also includes matters like finances, health, and a plan for the future. Some of you hide your money problems from your spouse because you've grown. Some of you ignore your health issues because God is going to deliver you as you keep drinking two liters of soda pop, eating non-stop sweets and fried foods. But God's going to deliver me. Would you pray for me? But I'm on my way to get another two liter. But you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to drink healthy and I'm going to get a diet two liter. See, I'm not talking about anybody, but I'm talking about everybody. If you're thinking I'm talking about you, I am. If you think I'm talking about you, I'm not. So the children of Israel, they were complicit, right? They had sinned against God. They had done wrong. This is why they were taken captive. Some circumstances come on us uh, because of the oppression and the sinfulness of others. So sometimes other folks do stuff to us. In that case, you may be a victim. And you know all the people of Israel 
were not complicit in sin. There were plenty of people who were innocent before God. But you see, when your leaders begin to sin, and then that means it also affects all those who are under you. You see, your sin does not affect you alone, but everyone else around you. And this hurts. This hurts. Because who wants to be on the receiving end of somebody else's mess? I don't care how much you love them, uh, you bring that mess in here. Your mess, it hurts us. It breaks down our family. It, it breaks down our church. It breaks down our business. It breaks things down. Their shame was so evident that no one could ignore it. Sometimes, some, certain sins, one thing that I've discovered is that uh, sometimes people, they get so blatant in the sin, eventually they, they, they just don't care. They come out of the closet. And I'm not just talking about coming out of the closet, I'm com coming out of the sin closet. I'm going to do whatever I want. In addition to their emotional state due to devastation, they had no wall. And I know you're probably saying, what's the big deal about a wall? We need a, a bigger, a better, a beautiful wall. During this ancient time, there were no radars. They had no airplanes, no drones, no satellites, or surveillance cameras. They had none of that. None of it. So all they had was a wall and soldiers on top of a wall. And here's a quick aside for you. You mean to tell me that our country, this country is supposed to be the most powerful country in the world, is no better than ancient Israel? That's all I'm saying. So all they had were walls as physical barriers with armed soldiers who would guard that wall. And again, most cities at the time, or most city-states, they were often enclosed with a wall because that was uh, a place, uh, the way that they felt secure. So now uh, the smartest and the strongest people here in Nehemiah were taken captive and now that wall was broken down and they, the people who remained in Judah were vulnerable. So now the people were there and they woke up every morning to a dilapidated wall. Do you ever feel like when you wake up in the morning, there's a dilapidated wall next to you? You ever feel like there's a dilapidated wall in your house? Dilapidated wall on your job. You feel ravaged by war. Overtaken by an enemy with no options. Imagine what this does to the psyche of someone's emotional well-being. Imagine what a broken down wall does to a person's feeling for a good future and hope. That all you see is a broken down wall. It's devastating. It hurts. What do you wake up to? How can you celebrate during a time like this, 
How can you truly be happy when all hell has broken loose around you? You lie to yourself. Hypocrite. I'm sure the people of Jerusalem, of Judah, they managed to make it. But it still was hurtful. I'm just making it. How y'all doing? I'm just making it. Sometimes we decry not a wall that's broken down, but sometimes our bodies. And as you get older, you know that your body doesn't work the way that it used to. In fact, my father, he used to say, he used to say, David? I said, yes. He says, don't get old. And what am I supposed to say? Okay. That is at the heart of someone who has faced physical challenges they never considered to, the, to that degree when they were 20 years old. When you're running around when you're 12 and you're 15, right, and you're 20 years old and you're doing all this stuff, you're not thinking about what's going to happen to your body when you're 70, 80, or 90 years old. Broken down wall can make you feel like you are in great trouble make you feel shameful. At Wednesday night's Bible study, we talked about outer and inner concerns. Those outer concerns are those matters which don't seem to immediately affect you, yet you think about them and wish everybody well uh, when you drive by a hospital. I hope everybody's doing okay. God bless them. But when someone that you know, someone that you love uh, takes ill, then all of a sudden it becomes more personable. Then all of a sudden, oh, we need to pray. Let's start a prayer train. We need to pray for my friend or, or my sister or my brother or my father or my mother or my niece, my nephew. We, we need to pray. It becomes an inner concern. That broken down wall in Jerusalem was an inner concern for which they could do nothing about. And you know, those inner concerns, they take their toll on us physically. Eventually, it catches up. What has broken down in your life to the degree that it feels hurtful and shameful? Now, I know I don't want to you know, give you another list because you already know what the problem is. You're already walking through it today. And we thank the Lord for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank him because the gospel, that it saves our souls. But sometimes we need the good news that Jesus provides a way to intervene in our circumstances. Jesus, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I need you today. Jesus, I need you today. The Jews had to come face to face with the fact that they had made bad decisions concerning the Lord and his people. And so should we. How did they do it, and was it effective? What makes this especially painful in this place, Israel, the promised land, and that is that it was the home that the Lord had provided for them, that he had promised them. God, the creator of the universe, said, I'm going to give you this, and then you mean to tell me you're going to take it all away? How can you truly be God? God said, look, he told them a long time ago, if y'all don't act right, this land is going to vomit you out. It's going to go, it's going to literally vomit you out of it. Really? Okay, Leviticus chapter 18. All right, I hear you, I hear you talking to me. 
He's just making up stuff. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 26. Leviticus 18, verse 26. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Verse 28. Lest the land does what? See, God had set up, he set up the land as a holy place. But then when you put the poison of unholiness into a holy place, then what the land does, it vomits it out. Right? You eat the wrong thing or stuff that you know that you don't like. When that stuff hits your palate, what do you do? I mean, you're ready to toss your cookies big time. I was sharing uh, yesterday with some of the men yesterday about one time I had gone to, I had gone to Tokyo and we had sat down, we had sat down on the floor and they brought us this dish and probably it was a huge percentage of things in there that uh, I didn't know what it was, but one thing I knew what it was, it was, it was octopus, right? And I look at the octopus and I'm like, man, I probably shouldn't eat it, but hey, I came all the way over here, at least I should do is eat it, so let me at least try it. You know, they used to say of me, oh, that's Mikey, Mikey, he, he like it. he'll try anything, right? So I go and I, I get the octopus and I see the suction cups on the meat. I'm like, man, that looks crazy. But like I said, I said, at least let me try it. So I go to put that thing in my mouth and my body said, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. My head said, yeah, but my body said, we're not having this. And my, the land of my body was ready to you know, you know what I mean? Amen? All right, here we go. So we must confront our brokenness. Some of us rather remain silent when something deeply troubles us. Nehemiah knew there was the potential of a problem because of the way the nation was, had already been sacked by the enemy uh, before they had taken, been taken into captivity. Even though he did not witness everything spiraling downward, uh, he wanted to know about his people. Because it's one thing to know that things had gotten bad, but another to expect things to get better over time. Well, we know they were bad, but certainly after all these years, they've gotten a whole lot better. After the Chicago riots back in the 60s, some of you remember, may recall, at least so they tell me, what happened to the west side of the city of Chicago. Fires. It was after the time that Dr. Martin Luther King had gotten assassinated. Some of the, uh, a lot of the buildings west of downtown, they were burned down. Some of the buildings became dilapidated and uninhabitable. But if you were Nehemiah and you, that was in the 60s, if you were Nehemiah and you walked around in that area in the late 80s and 90s, you would still see some of the same things and wonder what happened. Why, after over 30 years, things have not changed? They still look in disrepair. Imagine what that does to the psyche of the individuals. It could have been said about the West Side, 
People are in great trouble, and the buildings have been destroyed by fire. Even today, in fact, there's still some vestiges of that around there. But things are changing, but the reason they're changing is because people finally figure out, oh, I could probably make some money here. Now they change. But as far as caring for the people, they could care less. But as we will see in our next message, Nehemiah didn't decide to go and attack anyone and everyone who had anything to do with their trouble, but instead he took responsibility. So while it's easy to remain silent and to be passive about the situation, it certainly doesn't help. You see, you can be passive and say nothing, but there's a problem with that. When you're passive, it does harm to yourself. What? Do you realize that the word passive comes from a Latin word which means to suffer? You know what I'm talking about because you've heard of the passion of the Christ, right? The suffering of Christ, that's what that's about. So when you say nothing, when you remain silent, you're suffering. You're seething on the inside. You're killing yourself softly. It's okay to feel sadness because of your situation. That's all right. If you're going through, it's okay to feel sad. Verse 4, Nehemiah 1. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I know some of you won't cry for anything because you're just going to tough it out. Ain't nobody going to make you cry. But then there are others, you know, that when, when things get hurtful, they sometimes touch a raw nerve. And after Nehemiah heard the news, he cried and he mourned for days. Why? See, this is why. Of course, because of his people. Of course he cried for, for his people. But there's another reason why he cried, too. And it's right there in the text. Verse 1. You say he was the son of Hakaliah, but he said he was in Susa the, the citadel. So in other words, the citadel was a place of protection. Some people, it's translated as capital, but it was a place where the soldiers were. Where everybody were getting their meals. And see, for Nehemiah, he was sitting back in all ease, so to speak, in comparison to them. He had it made. Why as people are suffering? How can I sit like this and my people are suffering? How can you sit like this and things are total in an upheaval? How can you do it? He cried. Why should I live in, in comfort and security when my people are living a life of pure hell? Oh God! Help us. Whatever your issue, if it was heavy enough to hurt you, it was heavy enough to be saddened by it to the point of grief and mourning. So know that God loves you 
And he awaits for you to turn to him. So Nehemiah didn't just sit and have a pity party all day long. He mourned and he cried for days. Amen? But he eventually turned to the Lord. Again, verse 3. He says, not only he said, as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. Then he says, I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. There it is. So what I'm going to do. I'm going to fast. And I'm going to pray. And he didn't just say a prayer, oh Lord, rust this food and also change my situation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You see, fasting and praying, it takes time. You know, uh, uh, the more trouble you are in, the more you need to pray and fast. The longer it took you to get in the mess, the longer it needs to take you to pray and to fast to get out of the mess. The Lord loves you, has compassion for you, and he's waiting for you right now to turn to him. Confront that brokenness. Don't remain silent. Confront it with prayer and fasting. Let's pray.